0: Draft weekend is complete. Kevin Bowen back. Another edition of Kevin's Corner. Boy, uh, running on a little bit of fumes on this Sunday morning, but figured it was time to get back into the podcast repertoire, if you will, here on the corner. Uh, recapping the nine picks for the Colts in 2020. I'm going to field, of course, some Twitter questions. We got a ton. Try to combine the most you know, like central topics. And certainly we'll get to more of this in future podcasts, but definitely wanted to get something up on Sunday. And, uh, if if you haven't already, please check out our written content over probably around a dozen, honestly, articles on 107.5, the com. some Chris Boward, Frank Reich thoughts, every single pick, there is an article on as well, getting into the Quincy Wilson trade and just everything. Um, it'll be a lot of draft reaction centric, um, Topics uh, written wise up on the site now for the next you know few days, few weeks, especially with the offseason program being virtual, and, and we'll see how all that unfolds over the next few um, few weeks. But let's get right into it. Um, I will break down each pick, pick by pick analysis. Um, first, just some general thoughts on what the Colts did um, here in 2020. You know, Chris Chris Ballard made it very clear that when the offseason started, there were two big goals. First goal. Find a new three technique. Find a more disruptive presence um, at a position that means so much to this defense. Enter to Force Buckner. Um, you know, to me, I thought, yes, did the quarterback class, was it a little bit, you know, overhyped in the Colts' eyes, considering where they were drafting at 13 overall and who met that value and who could have been there at 13? Yeah, probably a little bit. But honestly, I just think Buckner means that much. They had to go get a three neck three technique. And then goal number two was to find more playmakers on the offensive side of the ball. And certainly with our first two picks, um, they feel like they've gotten two of the best playmakers in this draft at two positions that touch the ball quite quite frankly, frequently. Um, so those were the two biggest keys for Ballard. Um, I, I mentioned it you know, in the months and in the weeks leading into this draft, and I think we hit it pretty square on the head here of we thought this was going to be more of an offensive draft. It just it, it added up to that. Considering recent history of nine of your last twelve picks had been on the defensive side of the ball, all the premium draft picks that you've put on the defensive side of the ball, and then boom, you come out of the draft. You draft two skill guys in the second round, and four of your first five picks are on offense. Um, it was time to kind of turn over what the long term future could look, could potentially look like. Could on the offensive side of the ball. You know, we, we, we talked about it, I think, even on Thursday night, late on Thursday night. Boy, if I'm already drinking water three minutes into this, this is going to be a, a test of my voice. But come on. Gut check time, Kevin. All right. Um, you know, Paris Campbell, Jack Doyle, that's it. Long-term need or long-term um, contract guys at the offensive skill. You know, running back was up in the air. Uh, Whiteout was up in the air besides Campbell with Hilton in the contract gear. Obviously tight end um, is a little bit of a concern. Um, Long-term and Doyle turns, you know, 30 years old here in about a week or two. Um, And then lastly, as I look at this draft, I I feel like the Colts are going to be a more entertaining product next fall. And some people might not care at all about that. They're like, oh, I'll win 10 to six every week if I have to. But the Colts were not a very entertaining bunch to watch last year, particularly on the offensive side of the ball. And Michael Pittman, and a change of quarterback, and a different style, and Jonathan Taylor, those guys can help you become more of an entertaining product and ultimately score more points. you got to be more, more, more potent. You had to be more diverse and just deeper at the skill positions. That was an absolute must. That had to be done, and the Colts took, I think, some major steps in, in going towards that. And certainly with those first two picks, there is the win-now element. You know Jonathan Taylor and Michael Pittman, probably right up there with just about any prospect. I don't care what round—round round one, two, three, whatever—in terms of the most day one ready prospects. There should not be a lot of development needed with either of those guys. And honestly, with with with, with Taylor, of course, you 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 can't be patient. He's a he, he's a running back. Um, you got to play those guys right away, and uh, and get them into the mix. Uh, just a few questions I have coming out of the draft before we break down, uh, position by position. Uh, offensive line depth—I still am worried about. You know, Chris Ballard doesn't seem too alarmed. You know, thinks they can you know add some other depth pieces over the next couple of months and whatnot. But Danny, Danny Pittner, when he was drafted out of Ball State, I'm thinking, oh, could he be Joe Wright's like as more of a tackle? You know, this former tight end put on weight. Uh, extremely high high character guy, all of that. But it sounds like more of a guard, maybe even a center. And I thought coming into the draft, I'm like, well, interior, you probably feel a little bit better about than the outside. And I'll get into this a little bit more probably on next week's podcast, but you talk about winners and losers from this draft for current Colts. Well, Raven Clark's got to love it. I mean, he absolutely has to love it that they didn't make a you know a, a high pick for for a tackle. Maybe he could play out there on game day, you know, if you're only dressing six or seven, I'm talking about Pittner, but um, it sounds like he's more of an interior guy. Um, you know, quarterback wise, the only concern I really have, I'm perfectly fine with him taking the quarterback when they did. And you know, again, giving Frank Reich someone to work with, but I am a little bit surprised that all the tradebacks didn't lead to any 2021 draft picks. You know, I think if you prepare for the worst and there's a flop from Phillip Rivers and, you know, Jacoby Brissett wants to move on in free agency, are you just handing the keys to Jacob Eason? Or do you feel like you do have enough draft capital still and you aren't getting any compensatory picks, it sounds like, in 2021? And you don't have that extra second round pick from Washington and you have no extra picks right now. That is a little bit of a surprise to me because. Um, if that right quarterback is there, which we saw even this year. I mean, Chris made it very clear in the first three rounds, they're not gonna force that. Um You know, if you find it in twenty twenty one and twenty twenty two looks a little scary, you're gonna have to make the sacrifices and go up and try to get that guy. Again, if Eason, you know, doesn't show you here in the whatever next eight months that um that you think he can be he he can be the franchise quarterback, which is gonna be very difficult, I think, for him to show in just one year. Um, I guess you don't need a rundown defensive end, which is something I've been saying. You know, I, I thought Danico Autry, Taquan Lewis can slide over there. You still have Al-Qadim Muhammad, and Ture and Banigou. And Ballard kind of said that after the draft, you know. I drafted this, like, I drafted these guys pretty high. It's time to, uh, it's time to see them play. And, and that's kind of, I think, their general thinking on defense. And we'll get into this a little bit later in the podcast, but... Let's look at these nine guys. Who is playing on day one? Obviously Pittman and Taylor, and I, I can't really see anybody else. Blackman's got the injury. Eason obviously is going to play behind. Pittner needs an injury before he gets in the lineup. Um, and then those round six, and I guess all six, the round six guys of uh, Windsor and, and boy, I'm already forgetting names, Rodgers and Patman and, and Glasgow – you know, it doesn't even seem like they'd factor into sub packages. Maybe a little bit. Maybe some will. Glasgow, you know, could be a great special teams player. It sounds like, but again, it's just, and that's part of where this roster is. It is improved. Um, but I, the the, the one gripe I probably have with this draft class is not getting that offensive tackle a little bit earlier. Um, but that's but that's really it, man. Um or woman, whoever's listening, you know, I always feel like, I always listen to athletes finish off uh, their interviews when they're talking to whatever, Tracy Wolfson on the field, they're like, you know, man, I just, I'm like, well, it is a woman. Um, Here we are, you know, quarterback questions, kicker questions, Colts fans, welcome to the rest of the NFL. I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty much where we're at. Uh, but all in all, people ask me for a grade, I'd probably give it a solid B. Um, Again, we, we'll debate Jonathan Taylor in that pick, but uh, no one will be bitching when Jonathan Taylor is running for a thousand yards in his Colts career, and 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 where he oh you traded up three spots like, whatever. Um, and, and I was high on Pittman. You know, there's there's a reason why I put him in that mock draft to the um to the Colts. So before we get into Pittman, just just lastly, Chris Ballard mentioned that no way, shape, or form did the Colts entertain trading up into the first round for Jordan Love. He said he was eating popcorn, eating popcorn, um. Starting at pick nineteen, kept on eating popcorn until thirty-two. It's a lot of popcorn. Um, so yeah, that is um, that was the quarterback Jordan Love debate. All right, pick by pick breakdown starting right now. Michael Pittman at thirty-four, folks. Um, look, I mocked him here for for a reason. That that was not just trying to throw a throw a dart at the board. Um, it seemed rather obvious. Hell, I, I put a wager on it on on FanDuel. Those plus thirteen hundred odds were. It was a really really enticing. When T Higgins went 33, that meant Michael Pittman was going 34. Um, I think T Higgins, I think Michael Pittman um, were two guys the Colts really liked. Um, I, I, I even could have seen maybe a KJ Hamler, um, but at 34, I don't I don't know about that. But I think when Higgins went 33, you're trading back. Uh, you probably just don't love that. Like, okay, are you banking on Pittman falling to you? Um, but I really like the guy, you know, he's, he, he he's going to play like a power forward for you out at wide out. He's polished. I love the special teams background. I love the fact that he's the son of an NFL running back who played it for over a decade. Like he's not just this, he's not a USC pretty boy. Um, when you hear him talk, he, he, he's just a great individual, high character, but I just think he brings a business like approach and he's going to work. And the special teams history, again, that, that, that's not the guy getting dirty. That's a guy not afraid to mix it up a little bit. And I think that's how he plays wide out a little bit. Um, you know, I've preached all along diversifying the wide out group. You know, in, in the mock draft, I went Lawrence Cager, I think was the other big body guy I had, along with Pittman. They ended up going. Two big bodies. Um, and I think it's key, it, not only for Rivers, but life after Rivers. And they've made it very clear. They feel like Pittman can win at every level. Every level, three levels, you know, of the receiving game. Um, obviously, it's key to win press. It's huge to win late in a route and create some, you know, separation at that, you know, point of attack, if you will. Um, so yeah, um, really, really big uh, to get Michael Michael Pittman at number thirty-four. Um, Ballard gave the impression that, that that Reich really wanted him, which makes sense. You know, you had the Devin Funchess. Um, Kind of vote of confidence that Frank Wright gave last March in free agency. Um, something that really stood out to, about Pittman was, um, and, and when you first hear him talk, you will notice a little bit. I think, especially with with, with us, maybe it was just the first time on a Zoom. Um, he has overcome a stutter in his life. Um, talked about that a little bit with us, uh, but he said the biggest thing that he took away from his dad, uh, Michael Pittman. Um, for those that are are totally missing the boat with that one. Um, His dad said the greatest lesson is you can never hurt yourself by working as hard as possible. I think he told Pac-12 Network after the draft or after the pick that, you know, he was drafted early on Friday night, more like, you know, Friday afternoon out in in the uh, California area. But um, him and his brother who plays at Oregon immediately went on the field and boom, time to work out you know it's just it, there is a big time blue character trait check mark with Michael Pittman i mean you look at the numbers he put up at usc his senior season over 100 catches over 1200 yards 11 touchdowns <laughs> i mean that's no joke that is no joke and you look at the the power 5 do we call them power 5 i kind of forget if power 5 college basketball or college football the high major conference players I mean, outside of Justin Jefferson, no one, no one put up those numbers. And Justin Jefferson's got the number one overall pick, the Heisman Trophy winner. Pittman's got three different quarterbacks throwing on the ball in September, and then it ends up being a true freshman. Um, Some great insight from Colts area scout Chris McGaha, who um, does the West Coast and what, three of the first four picks were were his great story. Chris McGaha used to be like a – I don't know if he was working like – for, for Grigson um, very early on and is, you know grew into this area scout and just a terrific guy from the south side of Indianapolis. But he mentioned that when he went to USC practice, he never saw Pittman lose a one-on-one rep. Not once. I'm going to guess Chris McGay has been to quite a few USC practices. Not one one-on-one rep. And he said after after of them, he just run back to the huddle. Yeah, I, I kind of got a little – uh little Marvin Marvin Harrison vibe to that. Um, you know, Right Reich believes X whiteout can win one on one. Can he be that dog? Reich thinks he can be that dog. Right now it's TY Hilton. Can that torch be passed one day to Michael Pittman? Um you know, games to watch. Utah, he was terrific. Late in that Colorado game, I'll never forget we were um, I just got to an Evansville hotel. That was a Friday night game. Uh, I was visiting my, my wife's grandfather had a little scratch on the USC Colorado game and Michael Pittman just took over late, just absolutely took over late. Um, you know, a lot of people ask me, okay, player comps, player comps. I, I see a little Cortland Sutton in his game. I know Ursay mentioned Reggie Wayne, um, you know, maybe the hands of Wayne, but he's obviously a little bit bigger. I don't know if he's a, as polished as a route runner as I mean, Reggie was a terrific route runner. But body type, you're getting into what Rivers worked with. Malcolm Floyd, Vincent Jackson, Tyrell Williams. So, again, I'm a fan of this pick from day one. He should be a starter opposite T.Y. Hilton, and uh, he's going to be a huge, huge part of whoever is throwing on footballs, you know, beyond 2020, 2021. All right, pick 41, Jonathan Taylor. Um, Lucas Oil Stadium has uh, seen him perform quite a lot. Um, at, at, when I saw this pick, at first I thought Ryan Grigson had, had hacked the Colts' uh, Zoom or the whatever Microsoft team. I was like, whoa, running back? Trading up? You know, it was just kind of like, wow. And look, we can argue the draft philosophy of taking a running back in the top half of round round two. Would I do it? Nah, probably not. Um I've mentioned it before. I would take a running back though on an annual basis and just tell your kids right now, don't play running back. You know? I mean, it's just like these guys just get turned over. I mean, what has Marlon Mack done to have, if you, any other position on this football team, if you would have had the production Marlon Mack has had in his first three seasons, I don't think he gets drafted over. If Marlon Mack had that same production as a wideout, as an offensive guard, as a defensive tackle, as a linebacker, safety, whatever. I don't think he gets drafted over. But that's life as a running back. Um, and, And I know some people are really hesitant about, okay, you trade up for Taylor, you take him to the top half of the second round, can he play on third down? You know, those are some of the questions that you have. But as a first or second down runner, this guy comes in right now and he's one of the more dynamic runners in this league. He really is. You know, 226 pounds, ran the fastest 40 of any running back of the combine, 439 at 226 third heaviest of any running back he runs 439 um he is a more dynamic runner than Marlon Mack different style i'd say Mack maybe runs away a little bit more elusive kind of in the first 10 yards of a run um Taylor i think is more of especially at Wisconsin you know running behind that offensive line it's okay i'm going to be more committed to being between the tackles and, and and cut cut back lanes and things like that and frank reich said you know can jonathan taylor turn the 10 yard runs into 50 and 60 this team has lacked big plays too reliant really on both sides of the football of like Ben but don't break on on defense and then on offense it's just been okay can you go 12 plays 80 yards and Taylor should hopefully change that. Um, I'd say the two biggest concerns with this pick, again, are just third down presence, pass pro. Uh, I think Daniel Jeremiah had the stat right after he was picked of uh, 32 snaps in pass protection. And obviously, he's got to rest sometimes. I mean, hell, the guy had over 900 carries in his three years of, of football, which is an insane amount. Um, but, yeah, like, what does he look like on, on third down? Didn't catch a whole lot of passes at all. Um, the Colts feel like that's something he could grow into here. But, you know, as of now, I think it, he's him and Mack are the one-two punch. And then fumbles. He had 18 of them in three years. That is a lot. Uh, again, I know some people will be like, well, you know, he, he carried the ball so much. I broke down a little bit more of the numbers. He averaged a fumble every 53rd touch at Wisconsin, you take the top five rushers in the NFL last year, they averaged a fumble every 90th touch. So just a little bit of comparison there. Now, if there's something that Tom Rathman, position coach for the Colts, preaches more than anything than protecting the ball, you aren't going to find it. I mean, he preaches that endlessly. Protect, protect, protect. Um, We talked to director of pro personnel, Kevin Rogers, who's been with the Colts for quite a while, and he mentioned that he thinks it is correctable. Uh, he honestly thinks a lot of effort, a lot of effort just extra effort sort of runs and when the ball gets stripped a little bit um he was asked about again the nine hundred plus carries that Taylor had, and he felt like and this is such like a football scout you know phrase to say he felt like he wasn't getting hit as much as just getting tackled um and he's a genetic freak. And that's why they feel like you know the 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 tread on his tires doesn't all of a sudden mean he's going to you know run into the ground at the end of this rookie contract because I think when you take a running back in the second round there is more of like okay this guy should probably play past his rookie contract you know you get in the fourth round for a guy like Mac certainly it's just more of a bonus especially to be a starter but um but yeah um. Uh, Rodgers did did tell a great story about Taylor when he um when Wisconsin had come back from road games. Certainly, uh, for ninety nine point nine percent of college football players, they're thinking about okay, what bar, what party, and what girl. And uh, you could probably switch the order around, but um yeah, that's probably what they're usually thinking. And Jonathan Taylor was like, "Give me into the ice bath." He knew full well that um there was a long term view for his body, and that was kind of his his thinking. And with that. But, yeah, when when the, when the Colts were on the clock at 34, they had Taylor in that cluster, kind of six or seven guys. And then, you know, 36, 37, they start talking, okay, should we move up for Taylor? We're picking up 44, and actually Jim Irsay chimed in and said, look, you guys keep on talking about him and have talked about it throughout this draft process. Why not move up? And I think there was some thought that Jacksonville, I think was at 42, would take him. You know, considering the Leonard Fournette trade trade talks, and boom, they move up, and I mean, they what cost them a fifth round pick, and then they got the fifth round pick back. So <laughs> I have no issue, honestly, trading up. Uh, but still, you know, taking a running back in the second round, I fully understand people that have a little bit of concern. How I look at it is, you're in a nice position from a roster standpoint. That I said it, you had seven picks at the start of the draft. I felt like moving up was fine. You know, to me, it was quality over quantity. And, and there's no argument that Jonathan Taylor is not a quality, quality football player. Without question. Um, so I am I'm good with that, especially at a skill group that needed injection. Not, not necessarily at running back, but still. It's a guy that's going to touch the football, make a defensive coordinator think. Uh, could you have gotten by with Marlon Mack behind that offensive line? Certainly. And people will, will, will make that argument. Behind this offensive line, you didn't need to waste waste, I put that in quotes, you know, the 41st overall pick on a running back. But I I don't think there's any question that this is a more dynamic player. And if you can get, you know, six years out of him and he can give you a Joseph die type run, tack on a few more years, I think it makes sense. Um, The Colts made it pretty clear that Taylor was their guy. They like Clyde Edwards, DeAndre Swift as well. But Taylor was their guy at running back. I think it'll be him and Matt kind of sharing first and second round duties. Um, excuse me, first and second down duties. Maybe switch off series, and then Hines still on third down. I mean, it's, it can't be good for Jordan Wilkins at all. Um, and you feel bad for Marlon Mack a little bit. I mean, he did everything that he that he that he could really. And I, I just can't see a contract at extension for him. You know, I just don't. I don't see why you would commit that value when. You have Taylor and you're going to have to pay for Taylor. Um, and, and some of you, you know, some of you kind of, I think, agree with my thinking of take a running back every draft and you don't let that running back get to the end of a rookie contract. That I, that sounds so mean, but that is running back life in the NFL. Uh, just a couple more things on Jonathan Taylor before we give him Julian Blackman. I've had this debate. Some people have questioned this debate, and I will go toe-to-toe with you if you want to question it, and I have on this podcast. The Colts' run game was pretty good last year. It was not elite. To be elite when you face top 10 run defenses, you produce. The Colts did not produce at the level that was necessary for this football team last year against those defenses. So you need to take another step forward. If you're going to run the damn ball, you've got to run the damn ball against every single team. And so yeah, that's what you know. You got you got what Tennessee did, honestly, in the playoffs. And and that's what I do think Taylor can can give you something. Um, In a way, it's a little bit like. I guess it's not. It's not really like that. Throw that out there. That's brain fart. That's my first major brain fart here on the pod. Twenty five minutes. I need a drink of water. Wisconsin people are absolutely obsessed with this character. Love it, love it, love it. Um, and, again, just to give people that are anti drafting and running back in the second round more ammo, Joey Molinaro and I had this debate last year with Saquon Barkley. What is it? Show me the first round running backs that have won a Super Bowl at the time. It was like Marshawn Lynch and Ray Rice in the last 20 years. I don't know, something like that. Obviously, Sonny Michel got one a couple of years ago, but, You know, look at the running backs on San Francisco and Kansas City. Very, very nondescript. So, I hear you out, but at the same time, I look at this football team and think, okay, offensive tackle may be there, but that's still a guy that, you know, isn't going to play. If you're going to give me a dynamic home run hitter, and Taylor's got to live up to that, if you can give me that for this offense, that's better than taking, you know, to me, a whatever, a safety in the second round, uh, a corner in the second round, um, you know, maybe not a corner, maybe more like a defensive tackle in the second round, something like that uh, is what you're going to go with there. All right, pick 85, Julian Blackman. I talked about the hybrid defensive back. I thought it was a must in this draft, and the Colts got one in Blackman uh, playing safe. And, and Remember what I said. Marvell Tell, hybrid, but flip it. I want more of the safety than the corner, and that's what they they believe Blackman is. Um, You know, when pick 70 got there, the Colts were originally on the clock at 75, they were very high on Josh Jones. Um, Jones went at 72, I think, to Arizona. Is that right? He went 72. Um, So that's when I felt like, okay, trade back now makes sense. He hadn't done it, those first two picks. So they move back to eighty-five. Blackman, I get in a way a little bit of a Corey Willis, maybe not as thumper-ish as Willis, but there is some Willis to his game. Uh, now, let's be honest. I mean, he's probably going to be a redshirt guy. He tore the ACL, I uh, believe, non-contact in the Pac-12 title game in December. Uh, he's four months out of a six-month rehab. Ballard said late August, early September, and might not help us till October. Okay, you know, is that Pup? It's just, you know, we know how Malik Hooker looked, you know, full year off of that ACL. So, I mean, I just brace everybody for a, this could be a full-on redshirt pick, which goes to show you what they think of Blackman, that they were um, they were willing to, to do this. I, I get the impression Blackman was a little bit surprised by this. Um, he thought about coming out early out of Utah. He played corner. His sophomore and junior seasons, then moved to safety. They had some safeties go to the draft. Marquise Blair, I think, was someone the Colts liked. Um, Williams the Williams kid they had in their secondary. Utah's produced some great defensive talent, or just draftable talent here as of late. Um, But he moved to safety and had an All-American-type season. I love what I saw in watching some film of just, you can see some range, you see versatility. I love how he finishes. Um, found the ball, nine interceptions, 29 passes, defensed um, throughout his career. And it, it, it goes back to something Chris Boward has mentioned before. You've got to find versatile guys on game day. And they believe Julian Blackman is a three-down player. Three-down player. Clayton Gathers, is he a three-down guy? Probably not. They think he's a three-down player. You know, can guard some tight ends in and, and man. Can, can you know, play in your zone concepts and then can slide down to the box and support the run game as well, even though he's not huge. Was he six foot 190, I want to say? Not huge. Um, And as of now, I think he's a sub-package guy for you that maybe down the road he grows into a starter. I know a lot of people have asked about Malik Cooker and the impact on this. Blackman, to me, is not your center fielder. He's not the hash mark to hash mark guy. And I just think the Colts view this as a versatile piece on game day. That doesn't all of a sudden mean Malik Hooker should be gone, necessarily. We'll, we'll see what happens here though. over the next week with the fifth-year option on Hooker. I would pick it up. I think it's still affordable. And in today's NFL, you just you need tons and tons of defensive backs that can play multiple spots. Quincy Wilson couldn't play enough. Couldn't play enough spots with reliability. And honestly, I probably mean more special teams than, than defense. I know the Colts said he was a versatile defensive player. They never acted like it. So, Blackman, I, I I like him Um, when I watch him on film. And I, I don't know if just the ACL rubs me the wrong way, but it's just a little high on me. Just a little high. You need these guys, but I'm just never a redshirt fan. And I always worry about ACL still. Does the guy get fully back? Some of them do. I mean, I know there's a lot of stories of guys that get totally back. Some of them never do. But this is a uh, – this is a guy that, I don't know, long-term, long-term. I mean, where does he ever – like, if, if Hooker takes all – if Hooker progresses and Kari Willis is, becomes Kari Willis, does Julian Blackman ever become a starter for you? I mean, that's like a reasonably fair question to ask. Now, he's still going to play a good amount because you play five, six, seven defensive backs a whole lot on game day. But I think that's where people have a little bit of question with this pick. But it goes back to what, what, what I said earlier. You talk about rookie impactful guys – outside of Jonathan Taylor, Michael Pittman, I don't think we'll see one one of them, unless injury, obviously, play a significant significant role for this football team in 2020. All right, pick 122. Jacob Eason. As I'm scrolling through this, I realize I didn't really compile a whole lot of notes on Eason, but whatever. We'll get into it, um, or at least organize notes. All right, uh... Wow. I mean, the quarterbacks coming off the board certainly was a long, long wait for Jacob Eason. Does he have the brother coming out of the room with the shirt off and, and the girl? Was that Eason? I think it was. Boy. a little Awkward. Alright. Frank Reich loves the arm talent. Best arm talent in the draft, Reich said. Throws the frozen rope. Um, could throw it long. He's got touch. change velocity. Arm angles. All of that. Um, footwork's got to get better. Reading progressions has to get better. Um, certainly isn't the most mobile guy by any means. And struggled against pressure. Uh, the Colts did a lot of homework on character, it sounds like. It sounds like they sent Ed Dodds, their assistant GM, and Brian Decker, their quarterback guru, out to do some work on him. Um, Frank Reich zoomed him. Probably Sounds like one of the top 30 visits as well. I think Eason said the most contact with any team was the Colts. So a lot of homework done. The character questions, you know, party lifestyle at Georgia, is he fully a leader, um, you know, even when he came to Washington, does the locker room want him to start or do they want the other guy to start? I mean, I think there have there have been some questions. And how much of that can you develop? You know, that's, that is a fair question, I think, why he slid. There is a reason he went 122 overall. And the Colts made it clear, he was not any higher on their board. And they, if I'm not mistaken, they took a while. <laughs> to make that pick. What I do like about this selection is, to me, the hardest thing to develop of any quarterback is the arm talent. Like, you're 22 years old. Either you got it or you don't got it at this point. From a um, character leadership standpoint, has he been humbled by things? Does this humble him a little bit more? Does Phillip Rivers' presence, you know, flip – flip the script a little bit, just making money flip a script a little bit. I mean, I guess we go one way or the other with that. But that I just think natural natural maturation can occur. And then Frank Reich feels like footwork develop, breeding progressions develop. That's where Frank Reich's got to come through. And I've, I've said it all along. The Colts need to draft a quarterback in this class, find someone Frank Reich identifies traits of. He's found that. Now this coaching staff has got to develop. I think it's a very, very smart pick. In no way, shape, or form am I saying Jacob in should or will be the franchise quarterback. There's a whole lot of growth. Frankly, you should have stayed at Washington for another season. You should have. But he's the Colts now, and it's on this coaching staff to develop it. Um when you when you watch the highlight film, I mean it's it's Eye popping. It's the little uh it's the emoji with the with, with the hard eyes. He's got the big arm. Everyone's gonna fall in love with it. He's he's you know, he's the uh he's the great dunker. He's he's the 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 cleanup hitter that just hits bombs. They're gonna show the strikeouts on the old highlight tape. So can you develop some of those other things? But yeah, I mean he can make every single throw. Um you know, I, I worry about in one way, I think there's a lot to grow because of the lack of game experience. I mean, he started last year at Washington. He, he started one other year in college. People forget this. He started as a freshman, a 2016. 2016. Where were you in 2016? Folks, it's, it's, it's 2020. He started in 2016 as a freshman at Georgia. And then you know, gets banged up, transfers, sits out. Then becomes a full-time starter in 2019 for Washington. So there's a lot more growth there, and he just hasn't played a whole lot. Now, what I worry about like, can he handle pressure, that stuff how How much can you simulate that in practice? You know, how much? You know, I know there were some questions about he kind of struggled as the game went along. That, to me, has been a big red flag with um, with Jacoby Brissett. Um, people asked me, you know, I, I did think he kind of rubbed me the wrong way. At the Combine, I got a little too cool for school. But you know what? I, I listened to the dude for 15 freaking minutes at a podium interview in Indianapolis when, hell, he was probably still asleep. He was still probably on Pacific time. What you, It was like 9 a.m. Eastern time? Hell, it was 6 a.m back back, uh, out West, and and I'm gonna, obviously I'm going to trust the Colts and the homework they did. This guy's not going to be on the board at that position if they don't feel like he can check a character box. Does he check it as much as Jacoby Brissett? Probably not. But they at least see enough there that they're going to make the selection. And Brian Decker is the guru, and Ed Dodds is a guy that Chris Bauer trusts more than anybody. So that's what you're going to do. And to me, when you talk about what is easier to develop, we had this debate all throughout the draft part, process. You saw how far Jake Fromm dropped. It's easier to develop what I think guy like Hurts or a guy like Eason or Jordan Love, what those guys lack. And it's affordable. I mean, this guy's making what? Fourth round money? I mean, if he becomes your backup, I mean, let's let's kind of project ahead because Ballard was adamant. I mean, you talk about a guy that... <laughs> Chris Ballard said, watch this, I'm going to temper expectations and I'm going to tell temper expectations to hold their beer and watch me temper expectations. I mean, he was – he's like, we're not crowning him the Messiah and he's got to make the roster and he's competing with Chad Kelly for the third spot and all this stuff. And, yeah, boy, if you're if you're Chad Kelly, talk about a fun weekend with Chad Kelly and Jacob Eason potentially. Um, but that probably wouldn't be good for the Colts. But, again, can he be your backup? Rivers starter this year, Brissett backup. Okay, next year. Let's say Rivers, okay, the second year, Brissett gone, Eason your backup, 2022. Depending on what you do in the draft at quarterback, maybe Eason is then ready. Maybe not. He thought he was going to go late first, early second. Uh, got to believe in Frank Reich's talent evaluation. I think that's what you have to do with this. Um, Eason mentioned consistency those were the consistency like work you really want to work on two things consistency and general football IQ reads concepts and protections uh, Frank Reich had about an hour plus zoom call with them they went over a lot of that stuff you have to think too. another connection the Colts have to Washington's coaching staff is Chris You know, Strauser was a former offensive line coach there with Chris Peterson So there should be some familiarity. So, I mean, the Colts, you know, certainly had a lot of places to go for homework on background and things like that. I remember Eason saying at the combine, you know, I'm trying to prove or, you know, something that I need to prove is I'm a passionate football player. You don't love hearing that. You don't love hearing that from your quarterback at all. That's why he went 122. You hope maturation occurs. And if that happens and he can try to absorb more of that leadership element, learn under Philip Rivers, and Frank Wright can develop the footwork and the progressions, there's something to work with. Take a chance. Throw a dart at the board, folks. It's a fourth-round pick. Let's not freak out too much about it. It was a wise move to make. I'm good with it. I'm not – no way. You will never hear me say Jacob Eason is the uh, long-term franchise answer. You certainly will not hear me say that for X amount of months. I got to see him in game action. I got to see a lot more. But for right now, it was a wise, wise, wise pick. All right, chirp chirp for everybody in Muncie. Colleen Bowen, Muncie grad, Ball State, Dill Street. We love Ball State. Danny Pentner, um, boy, Chris Bauer loves him. Oh man, Bauer loves him. So they're trying to trade up for a half hour. What do you go one forty nine? Man, Six, four, 300, very athletic. Um. Tested really strong, ran sub-4-9, was, was a high school tight end, played tight end early on at Ball State. Um, not very long arms, made the switch to tackle, right tackle. So played right tackle his last two years, but the Colts have made it really clear that they feel like he's a guard or center. Played guard at the NFL PA game, the All-Star game. Um, did some center drills at the Combine, and they are big-time fans. I mean, you talk about high character. I was talking to one of his, um, one of his coaches. Yesterday, I mean, he was like, this guy's just got stupid good character. Just the epitome of first one in, last one out, never late, um, finishes every rep, most competitive guy on the team, you know, all of those things. So, a common thread in listening to all these guys was just was certainly the character. And then for the most part, everyone tested very well. Eason, no. Um, Blackman obviously didn't test. But yeah, for the most part, especially Taylor, Taylor and Pittman. I uh, tested well. Huge Bears fan, South Bend native, John Adams High School. Uh, remember, Ball State's coach is Mike New, former Saints quarterbacks coach. So there's a pro style system there. Um, but the only thing I, I, I like Pittner, and certainly I'm thinking to myself, if you can put on some weight, I mean, he might be, he could very well be your sixth offensive lineman from, from day one. And, and I like offensive linemen that bring the athletic background from a tight end. And have put on weight and all of that, a la Joe Wrights. Although his body type is not really Joe Wrights' so Wrights was much taller and longer. But I would have liked to have seen this pick be more of a tackle and less of an interior guy. And if I look on Pittner's college resume, I see two years at right tackle. But again, very short arms, and the Colts really think more of an interior guy. And wasn't that the Javon Patterson pick from last year? We still have Jake Elgin Camp. Again, that's really my only only gripe with this. All right, moving into round six, what are the Colts have? Four picks in round six. Yeah, four picks. Rob Windsor, Penn State defensive tackle. I thought this guy was gonna jump through the zoom and eat me. He was whew, you talk about intense football player. Eat, sleep, drink football. That's the impression I get with uh with Rob Windsor. Um Three technique was kind of his best position at Penn State. I, you know, listen to Mike DeReese, the area scout for the Colts, sounds like more of the one technique, which, again, that's behind Grover Stewart. And that makes more sense to me of, like, who is your backup nose tackle? Now, Grover Stewart plays at 330-plus. Windsor plays at 290. Said he was at 315 at one point, lost a bunch of weight, got down to 280. 290 is kind of more of his, um, more of his film and obviously Chris Bowett's going to take a defensive lineman virtually every draft, but I'm just, I'm kind of like, where, where does he fit? You know, if he is the three technique, your defensive tackles that are going to make this roster are Buckner and Stewart and day Sheldon day. And I mean, Danico Autry and Tyquan Lewis can play multiple spots. Like it's, it, it's a very crowded room, which again is a great problem to have. Um, you know, certainly the intensity and the motor, um, and some short area quickness, or things that, that that the Colts like. I almost look at this pick as Gary Green from for, from last year. It's just kind of like, where does he make this team? To make it, I feel like he's got to be the backup to a guy like Stewart. Um, and I don't. I mean, is this a wake up call to Tyquan Lewis? Maybe. I guess, but um, but yeah, Rob Windsor there early in the sixth round, and then the Colts had three in a row. You talk about my head. Almost exploding. 21, 212, and 213. Quincy Wilson trade two eleven. Um, this was not an if, more of a win. Oh boy. Yeah, I mean this was this was obvious that this was gonna happen. You know, I, I didn't think when Quincy Wilson was on the field, he was god awful by any means. It just it just didn't click. It didn't click across either coaching staff. Uh, Ted Monachino or Matt Eberflues, it didn't click in scheme. Um, you know, players loved him. Kenny Moore is probably his best friend. I mean, he's very close. And it, I, I just think the scheme hurt him. I think the lack of special teams. And in general, there was some maturity questions. I mean, he was drafted when he was 20 years old. Um, And you've you've in a way, you've kind of been making up for this pick. You know, okay, Rocky Seen early. Okay, now Xavier Rhodes. Like, it, it, it's a pick that has set you back a little bit. And, and that's what's happened with this 2017 draft early on. You know, early, it's, it's um, Chris Bowers' drafting resume is definitely better than X amount of GMs in the NFL, without question. I don't want to mince words, folks, because I know some people will just whoosh, vulture into me. But the first four picks in the 2017 draft, it's hard to find a worst four-pick stretch for any GM. And that, that might sound harsh. It was a very, very bad first four picks. Quincy Wilson doesn't make it to the final year of his rookie contract. Terrell Basham doesn't make it to, what, year two of his rookie contract? All the way through year two? And Zach Banner doesn't make it to year one. Wilson round two, Basham round three, Banner round four. All you get is a late sixth round pick and return. That's horrible. That is absolutely awful. And I know people will be like, ah, Chuck Pagano was there. He was drafting for Pagano's scheme. (laughs) No, that's where battle's got to be selfish. Jim Mersey just called me the the best 21st century hire at GM. Chuck Pagano ain't going to be here much, much longer. I'm drafting for players that I think can fit into my future plans. Emily Cooker, obviously, was your round one pick, and, and it's still up in the air on him. And day three was an absolute solid to the fence triple. I mean, you've got Marlon Mack, you've got Anthony Walker. You find two solid starters on day three, that is an absolute win. Nate, Nate Hairston was the other one. Um, hell, he did get a draft pick for him, but whatever. He's round five. Uh, so, yeah, it's, you know, Wilson, Basham, Banner. It's, ugh, boy. And, and drafts mean more. And you've had to make up for it. Bam, you know. Basham not panning out. Okay, you're still scrambling a little bit at the long-term defensive end. Banner not panning out. Now in the next year you've got to come back with heavy offensive line focus early on, and you're still searching for depth at offensive tackle. So this is just all part of the process. The 2018 draft, of the home run of all home runs. 2019, I think there's some intrigue as well that you like. But 2017, the first two days, just, just flat-out terrible. I don't need any Ballard truthers trying to just – I like Chris Ballard a lot. I think he's a very good general manager, but the facts are the facts, folks. First two days of 2017 draft, horrific. All right, Isaiah Rogers uh, was the pick for Quincy Wilson. Um, not big. That's what stood out to me. soaking wet in 174, 5'10", 5'11". I'm like, wait, this doesn't meet Chris Ballard measurables. Um, but Mike DeReese, their area scout in the Northeast, they've made several picks out – out there over the years, did a really good job of, of explaining this pick. Um, he says that, you know, when they claimed Kenny Moore, while well, Moore didn't have the size, height, weight, he had the long arms. So I asked Derice, okay, what is the trait that Rodgers has that allows you to say he can be a potential exception to the rule? And they just say instincts. And when you look at the 11 picks, three return for touchdowns, and, and, and the ball production – they say he's got swagger to him. I feel like Kenny Moore's got great swagger when he plays. Um, instincts, played outside, played inside as a corner. Um, UMass was god awful, just god awful football team. But uh, kick return element for sure. He ran four 4-2 to what four to eight, I think it was at his private uh, at his private pro day, which is eye popping for sure. His his agent had a private one. Um, can he make the team? He's got to help with special teams. Got to. And when you say returner, well, what about Naeem Hines at punt? What about Paris Campbell at kick? Maybe Campbell's role will be too much on offense that so you don't want him to return kick. So Rodgers has a chance. But when you look at corner, Kenny Moore, Rocky Seen, Marvel Tell, Xavier Rhodes, TJ Carey. I mean, that to me seems a pretty solid five. Do you have room for a sixth? He's the cousin of Dominique Rodgers, Cromarty. Isaiah. Is. All right, next up, Desmond Patman, the big fellow, six four, two twenty five. He's got great hair, great hair, big old hair, four four eight, and the forty huge hands, massive hands. um and, and that's what you get in some of these late late round picks. You you know give your staff new wideout coach might grow some clay, and tell them to mold it. Similar athletic makeup to Zach Pascal, bigger, but some similar testing numbers. Didn't play a whole lot at Washington State, though. 12 career starts. Um, He mentioned, I got to fine-tune my route running. And you had seven drops for him this past year. So I think those are the things that you got to work on. But that frame is something to work with. And, you know, can he just be even a special teams player? Sure. But then also, could he be a red zone target and a 50-50 ball guy? Can he be that for you? I was a fan of it, though. Depth, depth, depth. We talked about it. You need instant impact at wideout. You need to find a future number one at wideout in this draft. That was a goal. Michael Pittman hopefully achieves that for you. Patman is a, um, is a potential depth guy for you, which is needed. You know, we, we, we talked about the contract situation that you currently have. I mean, what? If you're going to go play tomorrow, you've got four wideouts that are going to make the team. Hilton, Campbell, Pascal, and uh, Pittman. So then you either keep one more or two more and throw Patman into the group with Marcus Johnson and Reese Fountain and Ashton Dula and Steve Ishmael and some undrafted guys and see what happens. All right, final pick, 213, Jordan Glasgow from Michigan. Big Ten fans probably know his story, the brothers of walk-ons. Brothers are all Michigan walk-ons. His older brothers, Graham and Ryan, both play in the NFL. So you talk about work ethic. You talk about kind of friction, guys. He's going to just outwork a lot of people. He's going to piss some people off probably. Um, I think he's got a little bit of wiring of kind of an Antonio Morrison type of player. Like crazy craziness. Which is good. The guy going to be a core special teamer, You got to be crazy. And uh, the Colts haven't had one. I mean, outside of Gunners, Chris Milton, Sergio Brown, the Colts really haven't had a dynamic core special teamer. And I actually think he's got a chance to make the team. I do. Not as a linebacker. I mean, yeah, that depth, but you're not playing over Leonard Walker, Bobby Okereke, or EJ Speed. But, you know, Zaire Franklin has played virtually every game of his NFL career so far, two years, because he plays every special teams unit. Well, he was a seventh-round pick two years ago. Is his time now gone and Jordan Glasgow now plug in? You know, extra two years on the rookie contract, things like that. He, I mean, he's earned everything. He's earned everything. Earned a full-time starting job. He started for Michigan at Will linebacker this past year. But um yeah, Zaire Franklin, Matthew Adams, two seventh round picks from a few years ago. You know, can you kind of turn over the leaf there? All right, everybody, nine picks right there for the Colts. Um I mean, I, I thought we were pretty close from a positional draft need and, and and being close to nailing it. Tight end. That was a gripe that I had. But outside of that, I was pretty okay with everything from a positional standpoint. I probably wouldn't have traded back as much. If I did, I would have get, tried to get a 2021 draft pick or two. Um to give me some flexibility next year. And I mentioned kind of the Pittner, if he can play more tackle, that would help you out a ton. But all in all, you know, two wideouts, I said it. Need to get a versatile defensive back in there. Need to draft a running back at some point. You know, a little bit higher of course than I thought. But um but yeah, all in all. Offensive heavy what what the what the goal should have been going in the draft, and it was for those premium picks. All right, Twitter question time here. Again, we've got a ton of them. I will get to more of these as the rest of the offseason unfolds. Continue to send in draft-related stuff if, if I miss it today. Um, I just kind of did a quick scan of them and try to combine some of the ones that were similar. Let's start with Lucas. Which late day three pick has the best chance to make a year one impact? Great question. So, you're going with Rob Windsor, defensive tackle, Penn State. Um, Isaiah Rogers, the corner from UMass. Um, Desmond Patman. Patman? I don't know. I feel like I'm always – I want to call him Patton. Um, out of Washington State, the wideout. And then Jordan Glasgow from Michigan, the linebacker. I would say Glasgow, honestly. Year one impact, special teams, yeah. Windsor, Yeah, it's a steep climb for me to make the roster. He's got to play defensive tackle. I mean, behind Stewart. I don't know. Maybe it's cut Autry and Lewis and, and move on. I I don't I would not do that though. I think they can play some end for you. Maybe Patman if he really develops, but you know, he doesn't play a whole lot at Washington State. So something to keep an eye on. All right, Jack, who plays end opposite Houston and tackle next to Buckner in the base defense? Okay, your end opposite Houston. I think Autry and Lewis on early downs with Jabal Shear gone. And then you go to Kamoko Terry and Ben Banig. Ooh, and don't forget about al Muhammad. He's played some snaps for you there. So you got about five guys that you could turn to, which is a lot. But I think it's going to be a mix and match. I don't think you're going to get an outright, this guy is, you know, every single down. But in the base defense, your rundown defense, I'd say Autry or Lewis. And then your tackle, I think, has got to be Grover Stewart. Get the big body in there. Hey, Zach, err this shows you where I'm at. I said, hey, Zach, which I do mean, hey, Zach, hope you're doing well. He says, hey, KB. That's time for me to drink some more water. Hey, KB, thanks for all your hard, hard work through draft weekend. With the possibility, or excuse me, with the possibly sudden influx of size in the wideout room, is there any chance Mack or Hines get split out wide more? Although I know Reese and Patman have an uphill battle to make the roster. Well, I mean, I'm curious to see the impact on Naeem Hines with the pick of Jonathan Taylor. I don't think Marlon Mack getting split out would be something that'll happen too much. Just not, I don't think there's just a, an abundance of get him more receiving reps. Uh, but, but what does happen to Hines? I mean, he was a collegiate wideout at times at NC State. I still think he brings you something on third down. I mean, we know full well that Philip Rivers has used Danny Woodhead and Darren Sproles and those guys out of the backfield. Austin Eckler last year. So, um, so yeah, I could, I could see Hines more than Mac. Ben, what does the draft mean for players like Marlon Mack and Billy Cooker not coming back and option being picked up? I would assume Marlon Mack, this is the final year. Now he's still gotta be motivated because it's a contract year. He's got to make money somewhere. I, I would assume he's gone. Hooker. I think you pick up the option. I it's affordable. He's 24 years old. He should be motivated. And and let's remember, Julian Blackman was taken in the third round, but it's a red shirt, potentially, for the entire season. And the skill set to me is not like center fielder, center fielder. No, I think it's different. I like Blackman's skill set, but it's versatile, slot, tight end, man corner, and some rangy safety, whereas Hooker is just flat out, you know, hash mark to hash mark guy. All right, JJ chimes in. Ballard's actions to stock the team has been unrecognizable from previous seasons. Most likely reason: A, Ballard realized previous approach wasn't very good. B, this is all part of the master plan. C, pressure from Marseille. Um, that's a good question. I'd say some combination of A and B. Maybe not as blunt as you put it, JJ. But you know when you go four and 12 and and 10 and six and seven and nine, and you've missed the playoffs dating back, you know, before you got here. I just think there is, there is an altering of approach. And Ballard talked about it at the end of the season. We need roster turnover. We need better depth. And you had to do some things differently. So I just think there was an honest talk of, all right, you got to change some things. And then part of the master plan I think is, You've assembled some draft capital that you can make a move like DeForest Buckner. You're in a better cap space um, to make a move for Phillip River. So I would say those two. I mean, or say, I don't think he's putting crazy pressure, but I mean, hell, you want to keep your owner happy. and, And I just think honest conversations about when you look at this team and their record without Andrew Luck, it's not very good. You know, off the top of my head here, so are you? you're 4-12 the first year, and then Luck 7-9. and nine. So that's 11-21 and 21 without Luck. And you look at, you know, if, even if you look at the previous tenure, the Colts are a better than 500-football team without Luck, Gregson wise um, So I just think, like, that realization of, like, all right, we have not been anywhere close to a 500-football team without Andrew Luck, we, we've got to start making some significant moves elsewhere. And I think that is, has that is played into that. All right, so chimes in, tied in depth, question mark. No undrafted free agent brought in, and there were some good ones out there. Um, I have scanned the undrafted free agent list. I will obviously get more into that on next podcast because some of them are rookie tryout guys, and the Colts have got to cut people on their 90-man roster to make room for some of them. So I'll get more into that next week. Honestly, my head's spinning from nine draft picks. So, uh, But it, d- it did look like they hadn't signed anyone of notableness at tight end. And I am surprised by that. And I mentioned this, I think, a little bit on the late night, Thursday, Friday morning podcast I did after round one. The Trey Burton signing, to me, did not totally eliminate tight end from the draft priority list. And I realized it wasn't a deep tight end draft class, but still. It, it did not eliminate that for me. So I was surprised by that. I mean, Burton, you know, the injury history is, is there from this past season. Was very durable for f- you know, a few years in the league, but a couple surgeries, hip and calf, I think. Um, said he was misdiagnosed, and when he was on the field, he didn't produce, I mean, eight games, and he barely touched the football in those eight games that he played. So um, I like Trey Burton when healthy. I think he can really help you out. But if he can't stay healthy, then you're back to Jack Doyle, Mo'Ally Cox, and a bunch of you know guys you got to look up In your program. Toner 12. Do you think Jacob Eason is a downtown or Broad Ripple guy? Do you think he's a revel or patron saint guy? Wow. Well, I mean, social distancing. I don't think he's any of them right now. Jacob Eason's a big boy. 6'6", 230. My wife said she looked up his Instagram. Says he's got a girlfriend. I believe from his Georgia days. Southeast girl. So, yeah, um, Jacob Eason does look like he's a guy that would in, that would enjoy a beverage. Um, it'll be interesting to see when these rookies are allowed to come in, you know, the virtual. I mean, when you – the NFL said they are going to do virtual until May 15th, I believe. So I don't think we'll see any rookies in Indy until then. But that does stunt – I mean, that that's the nice thing about Pittman and Taylor, though, is you feel like they are pretty ready-made. Blackman's going to redshirt anyways. But you want to get easing in here as quickly as possible. Because I think you got to start seeing what you potentially have. Because 2021 draft, no matter what happens this year, quarterback is still going to be something you've got to look into next year. Without a doubt. All right, Gavin, least favorite pick of the draft. Um, I like Blackman's skill set, but maybe where you took him. Just the ACO rubs me the wrong way. I should believe in modern medicine more than I do. Uh, t- 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 Windsor. Again, some of it's just this. I didn't see the need to have four six-round picks. I didn't. It's kind of like last year, you know? You had three uh, six-rounders and two seventh-rounders. They didn't make the team. And Glasgow will probably make the team, but I would have liked to have seen a trade back for 2021. Windsor, to me, has got to be that backup nose tackle. All right, Connor, great name, Connor. Given the relationship between the Colts and Jets GMs, do you think we could see a trade for a Jets player, Jamal Adams? Oh boy, <laughs> talk about hot freaking coffee. No, I don't. I don't. No, I know the Colts and Jets are like two best friends, but how many how many how many former Colts are on the Jets? Eight. Thomas Hennessy? Jonathan Harrison, Matthias Farley. Quincy Wilson, Pierre Desir, Nate Hairston, Terrell Basham. Oh, my gosh. It's insane. It's like the AAU team that split up. No, I don't. Just, I don't know. skill set, and and you need some of that draft capital for um, a potential quarterback. Stan, I am low on him as a prospect, but I actually think 122 was really good value for Jacob Eason. That being said, can you reconcile his traits with what Bowden and Reich have said they want in a QB? Accuracy, quick decision-making, plays off script, reading the D. Good, good question, Stan. Per usual, something we have to remember: Frank Reich has never been one that has inserted like mobility, making plays with his feet, those sorts of things, um, as a major quality. Now, accuracy and cognitive ability are top of mind for Reich. I think the arm talent he sees potential lead accuracy that it's got to be developed, and I think he looks at it as more of if we can develop the progressions, that would check off cognitive ability, and help out the accuracy because there is a quick release there that I think he likes. Um, so, yeah, there are... The, the the arm talent, I think, can kind of qualify for accuracy for a bit. But, again, he was picked, at as you said, 122 for a reason. You know? There's not going to be a lot of traits that totally check the box, but you've got to see if you can develop some of them. Matt, are the Colts a deep playoff team or a legit Super Bowl contending team? Wow, Uh, not leaving me in many options. (laughs) Deep playoff team probably means the same thing as Super Bowl contending team. Uh, I think they can win the division, certainly. I do, yeah. Um, I will say, and uh, along with undrafted free agents, the other thing I don't monitor too much during the draft is what other teams do. Obviously, I look up and see what they do and read a little bit on it, but I, I really try to focus on the Colts draft first. But it seemed like every time I looked up, I was like, oh, wow, the Titans just made another good pick. Or Baltimore just made another good pick. Uh, and I like Clyde Edwards for, uh, for Kansas City. So I, I still think those – Kansas City and Baltimore, I still think, are the Super Bowl contending teams in the AFC. But I do think the Colts can win the division. And if you get in, boom. So um, to me, I still worry about the offensive line depth. And there's a whole lot of pressure on Michael Pittman. Let's not lose sight of that. I mean, he's got to come in. He's got to produce. And you didn't draft another wideout till late in the sixth round, and he seems to be a bit of a project. So it's not like you came back in the fourth round or something and took another wideout. So uh, there's some there's some pressure at uh, at both those spots. Chad, rank the position group strengths. Um, I'll go offensive line, linebacker, running back. <laughs> Defensive line, I I think it has got really good depth as well. After that, probably safety. Safety, quarterback, cornerback. Wide out, tight end. Tight end, wide out. Yeah, probably tight end, wide out, as long as Burton can stay healthy. Eric, how many and which draft picks make the 53? Oh boy, already going here now. Again, the next couple of podcasts, I'll get more into kind of playing time, depth chart, fits, those sorts of things. Obviously, Pittman's making it. Taylor's making it. Eason is making it. I don't care if Chris Bowers says he's got to make the roster. Pittner's making it. Uh, so there's four. And also, uh, Julian Blackman, of course, would make it, but I think he can open up on Pup. Jordan Glasgow. I mean, Rodgers and Patman have got a steep climb. Special teams have got to be huge there. Windsor, it's tough. I mean, you're, you're just cutting bodies on the defensive line. It's tough. It's tough on that. Um, got a long one here from Cody. The way Ballard has worked on draft day, in my opinion, has been just as exciting, if not more, than watching the team. Would you agree with this assessment? Yeah, I mean, certainly going wide out and running back. Um, Basically, he's saying, do you think Ballard will go down the road of not re-signing skill guys? Um, I mean, I think some skill guys you definitely keep, especially if they're growing with this quarterback, this young quarterback, you know, wide out and tight end especially. Uh, running back is just, that's just a different breed. <laughs> it's, it's just a different breed, you know. Teams just disrespect running back. And, you know, I guess it's, not not horrible. Um So yeah. All right, Daniel, two more here. One thing I think many or discounting will impact all teams and players is the virus situation. Have on an off season camp and in person engagements, a learning curve will be steeper. Continuity take longer continuity will take longer to put in place. Teams that are expecting big contributions from rookies and free agents will be impacted more. Your thoughts? Yeah, definitely. I can see that. Now a good thing for the Colts is Familiar schemes, and Phillip Rivers knows his offense. And they already put a huge emphasis on football character. So I do think the Colts can uh, can benefit a little bit more from that. All right, last one here from my guy, Yash T. Hey, KB, thanks for putting up all the content you do this time of year, especially this one in 2020. I got an optional question for the pod. All right, well, it's no it's no longer optional. How hard is it for rookie wide receivers to get along with veteran quarterbacks? Have you ever experienced that dynamic, and what do you think is going to happen with the Colts? Looking forward to the pod and thanks again. It's certainly a big element. Yeah, I mean it can be difficult for sure. We haven't seen a lot of in, instant impact rookie wideouts, um, you know, for the Colts. Reggie Wayne, you know, even had kind of a quiet start to his career. But that's why I said a few weeks ago, you know, when if when these restrictions get you know loosened up a bit, if there's no off-season program in person, Phil Rivers has got to have the wideouts and tight ends and the running backs down to Florida. He's got to. You got to do it. You got to get some extra work in. Whatever. If you only have 10 guys on the field at one time, okay, fine. Just do it. Um, Hell, you probably wouldn't have 10 guys on the field anyways to run routes. But, yeah, that's what you got to do. And then training camp, hopefully, will be business as usual along with the preseason. Well, they say May 9th, by May 9th, the NFL schedule will come out. So keep an eye on that. Whew. I'm exhausted. All right, everybody, 107.5, thefan.com. Uh, tons and tons, like I said, 12-ish articles on written coverage. That is up there. Please check that out if you haven't already. Um, if I didn't get to your question on the pod, DM me. I'll get to it next week. Probably won't have a pod at all this week. This will be the pod for the entire week. It's long. It's filled with a lot of draft nuggets and info, and um, we'll have written content to keep you keep you covered throughout the next week, and then we'll come back early May with another edition of Kevin's Corner. Hope you all enjoyed the draft coverage, enjoyed the draft as well. I thought the NFL did an outstanding job. Roger Goodell looked like a normal human being, acted like a normal human being, which was refreshing to see. So kudos to the league, the IT departments for sure, for getting that done. Everybody have a great rest of your weekend, and we'll be back next week on Kevin's Corner.